well, in the four years in Japan, and then we also did a, a duo act, which was my first time doing something apart from an entire team, because trapeze is usually four to six people, right? So you have an entire team to kind of play with and play off of. But a duo act is more of a, it's kind of like a ballet. It's more of a presentation uh, that you're sharing with the other person on stage. So you have to have a connection here, mm-hmm. but you also have to connect that with the audience. And we did our first performance. We had trained about six months. We did our first performance performing hair hang and teeth hang in oh a gosh. festival in Vietnam. That's so amazing. So, <laughs> so it was a whole different audience than either of us had been familiar with. It's going to be a really neat behind the scenes. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. Because something always magical happens. Wait, what? Did you just make that up? Hey, it's Meredith For Real, the curious introvert. Listen each week as I talk with someone new. The topics are as ADD as I am, but they'll inspire you to stay curious and grow. Big thanks to our location sponsor, the UWF Historical Trust. I'm running away to the circus. That's a phrase most people say in jest, but a phrase my next guest actually said when he was 31. That is when he booked his first circus job with Ringling Brothers as the motorcycle on a high wire act. He later met his aerialist fiance, not girlfriend, Taiko Ariga at the Pop Circus in Japan, and she became a part of his trapeze act. Together, their antics make up the Flying Stars duo. He vlogs his circus life on YouTube, which is how I found him. And today we're going to discuss international circus life, parents, and what drives him as an entertainer. Sees the world upside down, debt-free and flying high, global citizen, Ryan Schneider, everyone. Welcome. Hey. Hey. How are you? Good. You guys look so in love. Congratulations on your recent engagement. Yeah, it was a a fun and very stressful situation because we actually, I did the proposal on the flying trapeze. So it was uh, was a little nerve wracking, but on top of just thinking of what I was going to say to propose to her, I had to remember that I have to catch her first. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) there's a few different nerves going on. How did you uh, how did you mic yourself? Because like I'm watching the the proposal video and I'm seeing that wait I can hear him really clearly. How did you do that? So the funny thing is I had planned to propose to her like three practices prior to the one that actually we did it um, because we've been working on a very difficult trick that we haven't caught in almost a year. Actually, it's almost the one year anniversary of her catching for the first time. In any case, um, we were really trying to catch this trick, and so for three practices in a row we missed. And I had been setting up my cameras and I had been wearing a wireless microphone connected to one of my cameras. Oh my so God. I have a good audio of the conversation. And so, yeah, it was finally on the, like, the fourth day of practice where I said, okay, let's just go to one of the easier tricks that we know so we can do this and get over with. Because I was so nervous, so nervous like all of the practices prior to that, that I was like, let's just get it over with because I need to get that out so we can get back to practicing, but also to like <laughs> establish that we're hopefully engaged at that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were using a wireless microphone system that I had connected to my to my camera. Oh my gosh! And your voice, like it was shaking, and you were, oh, it was so cute. <laughs> I, I could. So, so the question is, Circus Life. Did you choose Circus Life, or did Circus Life choose you? It's uh well, it was a combination. So the first the way it started is I was living in Los Angeles and I was doing some acting. And naturally, as an actor, I was working at a restaurant, but um, I was kind of getting a little tired of working at the restaurant. And 
I happened to notice a trapeze school across the street from where the restaurant was. And I walked over just to get some information. And it was just so fortunate that the owner was opening up the school at the same time, started talking with him and he convinced me to take a class. And from there I just got hooked because I love the adrenaline. I love the athleticism. I love the, the danger, but also like the ability to like train yourself in a progressive manner physically. And so that kind of led me into teaching and managing and then ultimately changing my career path from acting to, to circus. So it was kind of a hybrid of me choosing it and it like happening to be right across from the restaurant I was working at. That's so cool. I was surprised to find out that a lot like acting, your circus employment kind of works the same. You know, you um, are different. Every job is different. The agreement between every job is different. And so unlike traditional circus acts where it's a family unit that travels together from place to place, modern circuses hire independent uh, artists, right? Right, right. And and it's over the last 10 or 15 years, there's just been a huge growth of circus schools. So it's brought people like myself that grew up the same way, believing that only families were the ones that were performing in circus. And that's usually how it was. But the advent of these circus schools and the level of talent that these kids were, kids and adults were, were coming up with, it allowed some of these circus to say, look, let's, let's bring in a few of these talents. Let's bring in different people from different schools. And then and then, yeah, it's just kind of grown that way. So now it's a pretty good mix in traditional and modern circus. Which is really cool because that gives you so much freedom as an artist to explore and try new things and learn new things and then kind of pitch it to whoever you're hired by at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, especially depending on where the circus school is and what they offer, um, because you need skilled instructors to be able to teach you to, to be at a level that you would be able to promote yourself for work. Um, just because I go jump on a trampoline, I could do a backflip doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be able to transition that to a performance. Mm. So you need like to actually learn the skills in the proper way. And then there's also the understanding of how the business works. The circus is a business as well. And just because you have the skills doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good performer. And so there's that dynamic that also goes within the business of circus is that just because you have good skills doesn't mean somebody's going to hire you because ultimately they're selling tickets for people to watch you do those skills, but they want to feel something. They want to see that not only do you have the skills, but you're connecting with them. That's the whole idea of live circus, you know? Yeah, yeah. You've you've um, touched in our private conversations about the importance of connecting with your audience and not just like having a good backflip, if you will. Um, right. And you seem to have a long, interesting history of employment in which <laughs> you uh, have said you've connected with whoever it is in front of you. So just to name a few, let's see, baseball umpire, retail, door-to-door sales, haunted house actor, leasing agent, waiter, model, trapeze instructor, video editor, butler, valet driver, and Chippendale stripper. That one was the most interesting. I was like, wow. And for three years. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's funny because I was taking dance classes in college and it was never a thought of mine to become a, a, a male entertainer or stripper. Um, but I had gone with a friend of mine to one of the clubs in, da- uh, in Houston and she convinced me to go there. And I was like, ah, I don't really, I'm not interested in watching guys dance, but she convinced me to go there and we ran into a guy that was in our dance class and he got kind of gave me a little bit more of the back history of it. 
So that's what led me to think, well, I'm from Dallas. There's a club in Dallas, a really high level club too. I'm going to go check out that when I get back to Dallas. And that I started as a waiter there and then did a few amateur contests. And then that led to becoming a performer and then a headline performer. Wow. So it was, again, it was like that being on stage, giving that live performance, getting that live interactive feedback, that immediate response of like what your performance is doing, whether it's inspiring or entertaining or just for mere enjoyment. It's that's like kind of the basis of every kind of live performance, whether it's theater or circus or street performance, all this stuff is you know, you feed off that energy that you get and as a reciprocation from what you're provi- providing for them. Yeah. So you get a thrill from the athletic part. You've said you're kind of an adrenaline junkie, but you obviously get a thrill from that feedback you get from the audience. Which of those thrills is the biggest for you? I think uh, it's weird because the internal immediate feel that you get that, that visceral adrenaline that kind of like that feeling that you you might get when you see a police car behind you and light up their lights that's that little bit of excitement or nerves there's that that you get but the the one that is sustainable and the one that really like sinks in deep is the one that you get when you see an audience you can see in their eyes how they're changed by what you do in your performance or whether it's maybe not yours but your teams or everything within the entirety of the show that's the part, like, especially when we get to interact at the end of the show and you get to talk to the kids and the families and they're like, oh my gosh, that was so awesome what you did. And my kid wanted to do trapeze all his life and now I got to see you do it. And like now he's even more inspired to go learn more tricks. And so, or he never wanted to do it because he was scared and now he wants to try it. Like those are the stories that sit deeper and they last longer than just that initial visceral response of like, wow, congratulations, you did awesome. Like that is so temporary, but again, like that feeling of the response that you're getting from the audience that lasts, that's the stuff that, that I think I really, really, I enjoy the most. Yeah. And that's not even a, like a charisma related thing. That's really an audience connected thing. So it's almost like connection is the adrenaline yeah. And it's, it's a give and take. It's just like having a conversation. If you're having a conversation with them and they're not listening to you, you, there's a disconnect there. Right. Yeah. And so it's the exact same thing when you're performing, if you're performing skills and tricks, but you're not connecting to the audience, there's a disconnect and they're not going to feel it. They're not going to enjoy the performance as much as if you are like in there with them and having that interactive visceral exchange. So that's the part again, that I think is super critical for a live show to, to not only exist, but to thrive because that's where the magic and the energy happens. And you've been with a lot of different audiences. Y'all have traveled um, a lot of different places doing a circus. So tell us some of the places that you've been country-wise. So um, I started actually... I did a few shows, some some small shows. I did my first one was in Australia. Um, I did a show in Australia and that was really cool because I was working with an entire new team that I had never, I only met one or two of them before. Um, But that was really cool because I was at a resort. And then I did a a show in Turkey uh, and that was a week long gig over there. That was really interesting. And um, of course with Ringling Brothers, we did a different city almost every single week. 
So getting the different response from the type of people throughout the different states in America. And then four years with her in Japan. So, um, well, in the four years in Japan. And then we also did a, a duo act, which was my first time doing something apart from an entire team. Because trapeze is usually four to six people, right? So you have an entire team to kind of play with and play off of. But a duo act is more of a, it's kind of like a ballet. It's more of a presentation uh, that you're sharing with the other person on stage. So you have to have a connection here. Mm-hmm. But you also have to connect that with the audience. And we did our first performance. We had trained about six months. We did our first performance performing hair hang and teeth hang in oh a gosh. festival in Vietnam. That's so amazing. So, <laughs> so it was a whole different audience than either of us had been familiar with. We we're also on a different type of stage. So it wasn't a circus stage. It was a theatrical stage with just a proscenium oh. uh-huh. and the wings like you would for theater or for an auditorium. And, uh, and then we were also dealing with a whole different crew that was unfamiliar with how our winch needed to go up and down and stuff. So oh my gosh. this was also big, uh, a big development within how we needed to improvise our act and how we needed to do our performance there on top of just kind of seeing how the response of the audience was. So how does that vary from culture to culture? Do you find that you have to change up your act in order to make that connection? I think so. I mean, the thing is you, you, you want to keep everything to the core and, and flying trapeze, it's very consistent because we practice certain tricks and we're going to do that routine of tricks. It's going to be that same order of tricks. We may change it up a little bit, but it's always the round of tricks. When we're doing a duo act, there's the connection between us. It's not like flying trapeze. So here we have to have a connection between us, whether it's a love story, whether it's a hate story, whether it's um, a dramatic interpretation, whatever it is, we have to share that story with the audience. Um, but also we've got to gauge what the audience is feeding off of, because if we're in a culture that's very, very conservative, mm. like for example, Japan, we can't do a lot of like kissing on the lips and really tight embraces because it's a little uncomfortable for the audience. Right. So, so you have to, it's just like a comedian. You have to know what audience you're talking to. The same joke you do at one place isn't going to be the same. You're going to do in another place. So with our performance, how close that embraces or how much sexual tension might be in our act. We have to vary that depending on what that culture is like. So that takes a little bit of research when we're going to Vietnam versus Japan, we need to kind of understand how their culture is with relation to the story that we've created for our aerial act. That is so, so cool. That is so neat and, that you get to. And that's learn. usually only in, um, in aerial performances or, or I don't, there are other performances as well, but, like, for example, flying treppies, we don't necessarily have a story, you mm. know, so it's not as critical to, like, adjust to the audience. Okay. You know, so you it's can get a little the- bit more feedback from the audience depending on where you're performing. Like, for example, performing in America, you're going to have a lot more people, like, hooting and hollering and a little more rowdy, whereas Japan, they're going to appreciate it, but they're going to be a little bit more polite about their response. They're not going to be whistling or, <laughs> or like, swinging their shirt around, <laughs> you know, so that kind of feedback is different. So... In that sense, in a flying trapeze act, we're not going to be like going right. crazy as well right. in Japan versus <laughs> if we're in, uh, for example, Mexico. Yeah. We were performing in Mexico. So yeah, um, there's a huge difference in that part of it. Yeah. Yo vi que en tu videos que tu hablas español. You speak sí, Spanish. Entiendo mucho, pero habla is, I don't know the proper word for, uh, I only know the bad word. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Mierda. Oh, see, okay, we can say that, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, so how do you communicate uh, with um, other performers <laughs> when you don't always speak the same language? Um, it's interesting because there's nonverbal communication is a huge thing that, you know, making pictures and explaining things like me here, you here. I go here and you go here, right? <laughs> it's it's kind of like drawing pictures with your hands and stuff. Depending on the level of language communication, there's words that we all start to learn just intuitively because we're constantly around different cultures and different languages. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we don't absolutely know a single word, then we can explain it through our body language. We can explain it through kind of demonstration or diagram or showing a different video and that will kind of help them understand like this, salto, salto, back flip. Oh, wow. Back flip. And then they will say it maybe in their language, and then you can you start to understand those words. And you, you'll pick up on words that you don't realize you're understanding yeah. as you are around these different languages. And then that also is a part of kind of just being attentive to all that stuff as well. It connects with the ability that you're describing to connect with the audience. You're connecting with other people, and you're not relying on – well, how did you like that? And then having them reply, you're relying on more like fundamental uh, cues of body language and facial expressions. And um, I think that's so cool because it when you cue into that and you don't rely on the verbal, you are so much more connected to whoever it is in front of you, no matter what language they speak and no matter if you're on a stage or you're sitting across the table from them. Right. It's. It's, I mean, it's, almost like that very super typical, like when you meet a, a girl or a guy for the first time, like, do you like me circle? Yes or no. <laughs> there's, there's no connection there. It's, right. But if you're having a conversation you start to see how their body reaction, you don't have to necessarily hear the words. Somebody sitting across can see who those two, those, that couple, they're really into each other mm-hmm. or ooh, she's like, she's totally not into him. Look at him, make a <laughs> fool of himself. And you can see that, right? That's just body language without hearing words. Yep. You've just described you provide that as a performer with your body, with your movement, because they can't hear what you're saying when you're 30, 40 feet away, but they can see, they can see if you're like, Oh, I did bad or, Oh, that was really good. I feel proud. You know, they feel that. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. And the people watching, you've just described my husband and I, one of our favorite pastimes is finding people who are definitely on a first date and like making up a narrative about what they're doing. (laughs) Uh, I do that a little bit here and there too, but it's pretty fun. (laughs) I have a couple of questions from some of my listeners. Um, so if you don't mind, one of them was from Amy Anderson Lafitte. She says, do you ever get tired of performing and what's your schedule like? Hey everyone, just a quick interruption to show gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. The UWF Historical Trust. We shoot the show in the Museum of Commerce and the T.T. Wentworth Museum. And not only is this an amazing step back into the 18 and 1900s, but it's an event space too. How cool is that? You can see everything at historicpensacola.org. If you want to tour one of the 12 museums, and yes, Pensacola has 12 museums, and you get your tickets in person, show the ticket agent one of my emails and you'll get $2 off an adult ticket. 
You can get emails by texting REAL to 66866. So I don't have kids, but I also wanna tell you about It's Your Magazine. They're a national family-centered publishing company with free parent magazines. They have parenting advice, events, and inspiration. I'm actually in a networking group with a publisher, and this guy is all about family. You can view a free magazine in cities in Texas, Oregon, Washington, and Florida by checking them out at itsyourmagazine.com. And Insect. So I've always felt iffy about pesticides. Then the mosquitoes got so bad, I would get covered in them from walking from my house to the car. I called Insec and to say I've been impressed is an understatement. When the treatment wasn't quite doing it, the owner actually came to my house. He found the breeding sites, identified the species of mosquito, and adjusted my treatment to that species. That's when I found out he's also a beekeeper and pollinator issues are always top of mind. So if you're in the Florida Panhandle or Gulf Coast of Alabama, give them a call, ensec.net. And Dexafit Pensacola. So new thought, the scale is just your relationship with gravity. Now when I get on my scale and me no likey, I say, you don't know me. What does know me is the 3D body comp scan. I can see what I'm made of and what's right for my body. Plus, when you get a DexaFit scan, you also get a consultation because what good is data if you don't know what to do with it? After you know, you can make your fitness plan smart, like expert level 5000. Also, look this up on YouTube. It's pretty awesome. DexaFit.com. Now back to the show. Uh, well, it, it depends on what the show is. So there are some shows that, and this is all something that you need to understand when you're getting into a contract. If you're, if you're new to a show you want to make sure that um, you know how many shows you're doing, how long the shows and what is all involved of you in the show. For example, with Ringling Brothers, I did four or five different parts on stage separate from my act. In Japan, in that show, I did the flying trapeze and the finale, and that was it. Um, so like the amount that you do is something that you should know about. But for me, I love every chance to be on stage and give that audience that feel. So I don't, really ever get tired of performing i i it's that's the core of what i enjoy it's not for money or fame or anything like that for me it's that that i can give and if we have three shows in a day i have three opportunities to do that with the audience hmm. if I have one show i only have one opportunity so do i get tired of performing never does my body get sore does my body get fatigued oh absolutely i mean that's just the nature of any athletic thing that you're going to do so yeah there's always that nice time when nice time when when a typhoon comes in and then you have a couple of extra days off that you weren't expecting right but at the same time you know it's i would rather be performing than not and right right now is a prime example of that because <laughs> there's not a lot of that happening no and so then you're entertaining some random podcaster that emailed you from youtube um i did binge a, a lot on your youtube videos and i didn't see any uh, animals in any of like the circus footage or like the behind the scenes. One of my listeners, Jennifer Alvarez, she asks, as a performer, what are your views on exotic animals like large cats and elephants being used in circuses? Uh, that's a that's a very uh, controversial topic, isn't it? And, it is. Um, it's a good question. Without going to, too deep into it, because I don't want to like give a strong opinion one way or the other. It's just, for me, I feel like if the circus or the animal trainer can provide a strong and safe 
um, place for that animal or those animals, I, I am all for it because the places that I've worked where they had some animals in performance, those animals are, they have a soul, right? Just like a human, they have a soul, they have a desire, they have this internal want to, to do something. And when they've been giving a job or a life that they've learned that is performing, that's what they want to give. They're just, if they could speak English, they would say the same, not all of them, but they would say similar things. Like I want to give the audience what they're giving me. They give me energy. I give them energy. And so you can see that. And if you know animals well enough, and I've talked to a lot of big cat trainers and I had a good friend that was on Ringling that was amazing. His whole family, they are super, super like really close and very, very, uh, what's the word? Very just really good with what they do with the big cats and like hearing the stories and learning about how they treat the animals and how the animals and there's that common respect. It, it just educates you. And that's what I think is lacking with a lot of people that have a, a prejudgment is that they don't really necessarily know from a direct source what is going on with all that. And so they jump to make the conclusion what the propaganda says, you know? So in your experience, you only saw good treatment of animals if you had animals on with the act. Yeah, I, I never saw anything that would have made me cringe or like look away because one, I wasn't necessarily always around those things. Like I went to just like say hi to some of the tigers and elephants, but I wasn't, I didn't spend a lengthy amount of time there. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't, I don't know why you would want to have an animal. I, I, I don't know. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't use, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know what else to say. I just think <laughs> uh, okay. my experience has been pleasant yeah, and, and I, I'm, I support it. I support the people who make a living from it. And the, I really support the people who really, really take care and Do it respect right. and appreciate mm-hmm the animals, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the modern circus has, has changed so much from traditional circus, whether it's, you know, animals, um, having a narrative in your trapeze act. I think that's a modern circus thing. I don't know that they necessarily did that in traditional, but it's so fun to learn about all the different, uh, elements. Um, one of them being the parental element. So I really would like to hear from both of you, if that's okay, what your parents' uh, reaction was when you were like, mom and dad, going to the circus. Yeah, what was your parents' response? Uh, Now my parents like circus. I mean, I'm starting circus. My family is no circus family, so nobody know about circus. Why you want to try circus? Because I practiced before I was child. When I was child, I trained in gymnastics. Oh, okay. That's that makes sense. And so yeah. you went from gymnastics to circus. Yeah, circus. Why you wanna choose circus? Why you don't wanna continue gymnastics or something? If you quit gymnastics, but you can teach gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Why you wanna trans to circus? Nobody know, and I don't know what's going on later. Mm-hmm. I worry because they didn't really know what to expect because there was no, there's no. Um, preface yeah. for it, right? There was nothing that they knew. Yeah, and Japan is no have a lot of circus, nobody do any oh, <laughs> right. training. So what do you wanna do future? You wanna job in circus? Yeah. Um, yeah. After I come back to Japan and I joined the 
pop circuits. And my parents, oh, okay, you can try that. And I do show later. I say to my parents, come to watch show. And my parents watch first time show. They understand to me a little bit. And after, oh, good. You choose you this life. And they respect me. And wow. They're happy now. That's pretty supportive, actually. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's really awesome. What about you, Ryan? Um, yeah, well, I think it wasn't as much of a surprise to them because they knew I wanted to do performance. Um, just like myself, they didn't really think that was a possibility of something that would be in our future because, again, we don't come from the families of circus, so right. it's not a natural transition, right? Um, but when I first told my family that I was starting to do flying trapeze classes, they they were confused. They didn't understand what that was. And then when I got my first contract and I said, oh, I'm going to be riding motorcycle on a wire. There was like this, this confusion. <laughs> yeah. And of course, naturally my mom, she's super protective and she's confused, but like scared as well. But at that time I'm 31 years old. So she, she wants the support, but she's still the mother. So she's like, you cannot do that. You cannot do that you should do that. That's great. I support you hundred percent, but you cannot do that. You know? And then again, I had the same experience when uh, I taught her, told her I was doing teeth hang. Yeah. And so we go through the same she's thing. Like, again. I paid what like, for braces? Uh-uh. Braces and your teeth when you were a kid and all this stuff. So it, that's the fun thing about circus again, is that there's so many different things that you can learn and surprise your parents about. But um, because we both come from non-traditional circus families, their responses of like, wow, that's an industry we would have never expected, Yeah, but we don't know anything about it. So it's hard to have a, a preconception of something that you don't know anything about exactly. other than what maybe the stigmas are of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like there will be so much for us to continue to keep up with uh, for the both of you. So I cannot wait for one to see what you do, what acts you continue to learn, the amazing trapeze wedding that is surely to follow. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and just where, you know, when uh, performances kick back up again to see you guys show off. So I will definitely be linking all of your, um, all of the ways to follow you in the show episode and in the show notes. So if you're listening or watching to this and you want those, just text real R E A L to six, six, eight, six, six, because then you can get those and uh, we'll be sure to keep up with your antics. Thank you guys so, so much. I loved chatting with you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Meredith. All right. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye. Are you still listening? Just kidding. Of course you are. Since you're here, here's some ways you can support the show. Stalk me on social media, leave a review, share an episode with a friend, or check out my Teespring page for delightfully sarcastic apparel. Links are in the episode description. 